Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for coming to this earth and speaking to us about our need and in so doing, delivering us from our sin. We pray that you'll work in our hearts. Help us to truly seek you each and every day. Seek your word and, and learn from it that we might grow and walk in a way that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to read. Um, actually, you know what? I did have a scripture reading. I'll read it. Hebrews 1, 4 to 7. This is actually going to be what we're going to be talking about next week. Starting at verse 4. Let's all read together. Having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today have I begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And when again he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds of fire and ministers a flame of fire. I'm sorry, my bad. I had memorized that in the King James a while back, so I get them confused sometimes. Okay, this week we're looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and I want to read it. Um, You guys can read along, and, and I'm using the New American Standard. Again, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. In my introduction to the book of Hebrews, I laid out some very broad strokes depicting the major themes of the book. I want to add this piece of information about Hebrews to help us get a right mindset as we approach this study. As I said before, this book is not like other epistles. In fact, this book is actually more a written sermon. Sort of like how the newspaper reporters used to actually send stenographers to Moody's messages, take down notes and actual, 
actually print transcripts to get circulation. Boy, I'll tell you, our world has changed a lot. I can't see somebody sending a, a newspaper or a reporter and printing out a person's message today. I also want to make a recommendation. If you plan on getting serious about studying Hebrews, get the NIV application commentary by George H. Guthrie. Um, this book is well written and it's most helpful. I've been, I've been using it as one of my primary sources and there's a lot in there. Also, the author of this refers to the author of, of the commentary refers to the author of Hebrews as the preacher. And I think this is appropriate. It will remind us that this book is a written sermon. So as I teach from this book, I will be referring to the author as the preacher. You'll notice on the insert there are two outlines. There's a shorter one on the front page and a much longer, more detailed one on the back page. The first one is um, by Bob Deffenbaugh from a series of messages called Near to the Heart of God, a study on the book of Hebrews. This is actually found, you can look at it on um, Bible.org. Uh, it's a full series of messages and transcripts for the entire book. Um, and I've been listening to his messages and there's, again, a lot there. Um, his outline is more of an overview of where we're going to be going in this first section of the book of Hebrews. And this first section starts from chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 18. And if you look at that outline, you'll see God has spoken in his Son. The Son is God's final word. The Son is above all, particularly the angels. The Son is higher than the angels. And then there's an exhortation to listen to him. And then the sun became lower than the angels to save men. We will be breaking this up into five parts, the first of which is Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. Now the outline on the back is for you to take home and use it in your studies. Um, Dr. Robert Dowie is actually the Bob Dowie that was a teacher at the Bible school Mary and I went to back in the 70s. And as I've been pulling these three sources together, I decided to outline this first section by answering six questions. What questions you might ask. Actually, Rudyard Kipling wrote a mnemonic poem to help us remember them. I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. I send them o'er land and sea, I send them east and west. But after they have worked for me, I give them all a rest. I let them rest from nine till five, for I am busy then, as well as breakfast, lunch, and tea, for they are hungry men. But different folk have different views. I know a person small. She keeps... 10 million serving men who get no rest at all. She sends them abroad on her own affairs. 
from the second she opens her eyes. One million hows, two million wheres, and seven million whys. Obviously, Kipling had a very inquisitive little girl in his life. So the first question I'm going to be asking is why? And this why is actually the overarching why of this whole section. This whole section answers this question. Why is it so important to listen to Christ's message? As we look at this, this is what he is dealing with in this first section. He's saying, Jesus said something very important in his life. Listen. Pay attention. The term last days, if you look at this, it basically, he starts off in this by saying he spoke in the past through intermediaries and in these last days he has spoken through his son. The term last days actually is a significant term. It, it's important because the Hebrew believer was actually looking forward to these last days. And how was the Hebrew believer supposed to know that the last days came? It was when the Messiah came. And by saying this the way he did in this first four verses, he's saying, Jesus is this Messiah. It's important to listen to him because he is the one that ushered in these last days. The next question I want to look at is, who is speaking? And clearly as we look at this, this is God the Father speaking. The first section deals with God communicating with mankind. In verses 1 and 2, we see a comparison and contrast in the way God presents his message. Hebrews 1.1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways. There's a lot there. So how did God speak in time past? And what was the subject of his message? How and what? He spoke in the prophets. Up until the time of Moses, God spoke to individuals to reveal things about himself. God called Abraham to follow him. And he promised Abraham would be a father of many nations. He told Abraham to sacrifice his son. In this, God taught Abraham that he is the God of resurrection. We will see this in greater detail later on in the book of Hebrews. He wrestled with Jacob. He came down and wrestled with Jacob. And then gave him a new name, Israel, which means prince with God. God called Moses to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt. He also spoke in many parts or at different times. When we see God speaking at different times in the Old Testament, 
we see a little more about God and who God is in these messages. This concept theologians refer to is called progressive revelation. Now, no, this is an Old Testament concept. The primary message God was trying to get across was to look forward, I am sending the Christ. And when this Christ comes, he will reveal all things. And this is what the preacher is getting at here. I'm sending the Christ. I'm telling you about the Christ. He's coming. I'm sending the Christ. I'm telling you about the Christ. And here's a little bit more about who he is. And here's a little bit more about how you can identify him. He's spoken many ways, and these ways present a unified message about his son. In other words, in times past, God spoke about his son. God spoke directly to Abraham to call him out of Haran. Later, he came in person to tell Abraham he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. God spoke to Joseph in dreams and visions. These dreams caused Joseph's brother to sell him into slavery. God spoke in Joseph's life itself by types or pictures. That's a study that we haven't looked at a lot, and, but it is one that has been important in the past. As a matter of fact, in his book, Gleanings in Genesis, Arthur Pink said this about Joseph. He said, in Genesis, we also learn of the Savior's coming exaltation. This is strikingly typified in the history of Joseph in the most complete of all personal types of Christ, who after a period of humiliation and suffering was exalted to be the governor over all Egypt. And later on in the book, he actually says that Joseph's life actually portrays over 100 pictures of Christ in his life. He was sold for silver. He was the savior of the world. Yes, he was. He saved the world from starvation. And that is a picture of Jesus saving the world from sin. Even his name. We even see Jesus reaching back to the Old Testament to demonstrate these pictures God has painted of him. Matthew 12:40 says this, For as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. He's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. And he's saying, Jonah, when he was in that sea monster, that's a picture of what I am going to do. So how did God speak to us in these last days? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, part A, says, In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son. There are three things we need to understand about God speaking in his Son. The first thing we need to understand is 
since the subject matter of God's message in the Old Testament was about his son, Jesus is the final word on the subject. Second, and for the same reason as the first, Jesus is also the complete word on the subject. And third, God speaking in his son was not just the words he spoke. It was the totality of his incarnation. This includes his words and his actions up to and including his death, burial, and resurrection. What he did for us on the cross was the final message of deliverance. This message of the resurrection, I am now the life and you have no reason to fear death. In verse 2b through 4, the preacher fills in some of the details about the Son as God's final and full word. Hebrews 1, 2 says, and again I'm looking at part of it, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, who he appointed heir of all things. His son has been appointed heir of all things. Psalm 2.8 says, Ask me and I will surely give you a nation's as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. The implication of Jesus being appointed heir of all things has some very real implications for us. In Romans 8.17, Dale talked about that last week. It says, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. In Ephesians 1.13 and 14, it says, The Spirit has been given as a pledge of this inheritance that we are heirs to. In whom also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. His Son is also the creator of all things. Hebrews 1-2 again at the very end. Through whom also he made the world. John 1, 1-3 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He created everything. If it's created, Jesus is the one that did it. 
He is the instrument of God's creation. God is part of this creative act. God is the planner. Jesus is the instrument. The word translate, okay, and then it goes on and says in verse 3 starting off, it says, He is the radiance of His glory. The word translated radiance here conveys the idea of intense brightness. Jesus, as the light of the world, revealed the glory of God the Father with great intensity. As Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, I am the manifest presence of God. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. His Son is the exact representation of his nature. The word translated as exact representation is a Greek and I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but I'm going to say character. The Strong's Lexicon defines this word as the exact expression, the image of any person, thing, marked likeness, precise reproduction in every, aximal, every aspect. In other words, a facsimile. You guys remember faxes, don't you? <laughs> you put a piece of paper in that comes out exactly the same somewhere off in the distance. That's essentially what God is saying here. Jesus is a perfect copy. Every point. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. Philippians 2.6 says, Who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. The word translated form in Philippians 2.6 is morphe. This is the word we get metamorphosis from. So when Jesus is the form of God, he is so because he is of the same essence as God. It's important for us to understand this. Jesus is the true image of God because he is the incarnated God. God put on flesh for my sake. So when the preacher says that Christ is the exact representation of the Father, he is saying that in every way, Jesus' life was a trustworthy image of the Father's nature. We can trust what we see in his life. His Son upholds all things by the word of his power. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 say, for by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers 
or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. He sustains everything in the creation that he has made. Everything is sustained by him. He upholds the world. His Son made purification for our sins. Titus 2, 11 through 14 say, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself to us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself his own possession, zealous for good works. So we see he purified our sins. There are so many different passages that talk about him dying to make us pure. His son sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 say, And when, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in, in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. His son has been exalted above the angels as he has inherited a better name. Having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Ephesians 1, 21 to 23, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. Verse 4 is sort of a transition into the next segment. And we're going to be covering some of this in more detail next week. Um, but I included it here because the, in the original language, I know we see verses 1 to 4 in a bunch of different sentences. But in the original language, verses 1 to 4 is actually one sentence, one complete thought, one densely packed theological treatise on what the preacher is going to be getting at in the rest of the book of Hebrews. As a matter of fact, in the rest of the book of Hebrews, that's one of the things he's going to be doing, is he's going to be unpacking this sentence, and he's going to be expanding and elaborating a lot on these subjects that he's brought together in this one sentence. So this really is, in a, in a way, an introduction. God's message. God is speaking. And that's what he's getting at. And he's also saying he talked about his son, and he talked in his son, and this is who his son is. And this is what his son did.
We have looked at the why we should listen to Christ and the who spoke, when he spoke, how he spoke, and what was his, the subject of his message. But what about the where? Did I miss it? Well, not exactly. In times past, God spoke to individuals until Israel became a nation. Then his message centered in Israel. When God spoke in Christ during his earthly ministry, again, it was to Israel. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 24, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. After his resurrection, Jesus reminded the disciples that all he had done was foretold in the Old Testament, and then he changed the scope of the message. Luke 24, verses 44 to 49 says this, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name in all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. And then just before he ascended to heaven, in Acts 1, 8, and everybody can probably remember this verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. See, this message was located in Israel until it was complete, until Jesus was ready to send it out. He planted this seed. And when the seed started producing fruit, he said, now go to the nations. Preach Christ to everyone. So here we are today. God has spoken about his son, and he has spoken in his son. Now his son has trusted us to testify to this message. He gave us the Spirit to speak his message with power. The question we must ask ourselves is, what am I going to do with this responsibility? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have been willing to trust us with such an awesome responsibility. That you have trusted us with the message of your salvation. That you have given to us this great gift. 
Help us to be witnesses of this gift that you have given to us, that we might truly have the courage and strength and wisdom to know what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. That others might see you in us. That we might not just say things, but we might live them. That your name may be glorified. That others may see and come to you. In Jesus' name, amen.